0: And I ask you, Lord, today that you'd help us to learn how to trust you. That's all. Just how to walk in something that we've come to call faith, but all it really is is just trust in our Father to do what's best, no matter what happens. I pray, Lord God, that there would be an awakening in our hearts and minds. I pray for those that are here this morning that are struggling with their worth and their value and their resources, and they're looking at everything that they don't have and all the things they need. And I pray, Lord God, that for them, you would show, you would just step right up into their world, their mess, their chaos. And you would just be Papa to them. And you'd help them to know that they're loved, they're adored, they're treasured. And they have access to resources beyond anything they can imagine. They have access to love beyond their wildest hope. And they have access to safety and protection beyond anything they could ever dream of. I pray, Lord God, for awakening in these ways, in Jesus' name, Amen. You guys can have a seat. I'm going to get wound up, and uh, <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Today, I promise to have us out of here today. I promise we'll be out of here today. I'm just kidding. This is—I uh, would say this is the last sermon in a series, but it's actually the last point in a sermon that's been preached over three weeks. Uh, what we are dealing with, what we've been coming back, or trying to uproot, if this is the first time you've been with us in a few weeks is the lies, the lie that the enemy just keeps propagating and shoving into and injecting into our lives, the lie of not enough. Our first message we talked about, how you, he tells you all the time you don't have enough value, you don't have enough worth, you're not enough. Last week he talked about how that he tells us we don't have enough resources and that we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough friends, we just don't have enough. And, and so the whole point of this series is this idea of not enough, which is very easy for us to believe because we live in a world of not enough. We live in a world that's just pure lack in every possible way. And so today I want to talk about not enough faith. And I think this is really important because I think that uh, my belief over the years as I've encountered Christians from all kinds of walks of faith is that there is this unintended belief. Hallie Cayman's escaping. I love you. (laughs) Supper's at six. (sighs) It's my child, not yours. Okay. All right. (laughs) <laughs> You're laughing because it's funny to you. It's not funny to me. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> it's not funny at all. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's this idea. This uh, it's really a conclusion we draw based on what we have been taught that is incorrect. It's an incorrect conclusion, which happens a lot. I think most religious debate, and theological debate, is that there are. There's this scriptural truth, and there's that scriptural truth, and they seem paradoxical or opposing to each other. And so we, in our limited, fairly ignorant approach to life, decide we can balance those two paradoxes in our own intellect and logically come to a conclusion. That is not how we do it. It's not the kingdom. What we do is we say, hey, God says this, God says that. doesn't make sense to me, but God said it. And that's all I really need. I'm not saying you can't uh, look into things, investigate things. I'm just saying God saying something is powerful because God knows way more than you. So this conclusion that's been drawn in church and Christianity is this faith is how I get stuff from God. To put that in other terms, how I buy stuff from God is with the currency of faith. This is the this underlying belief that just kind of it, it just kind of infects a lot of Christendom today. Faith is not currency. Faith is not currency. I cannot manipulate God into doing my will simply by having enough faith. Faith is a different thing altogether. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about today, because what the enemy's doing is he's taking that lie, that misconception of faith as a currency, and he's twisting it into your minds, into this belief that, well, I, I don't have enough faith. I'm sick. I can't get better, I don't, but I don't have enough faith. My marriage is struggling. My relationships are struggling. I'm struggling as a parent, and I'm trying to believe, but I can't get enough faith. How do you get enough faith? faith. In fact, the disciples even asked Jesus that question at one point, you know, how, how do we grow our faith? How do we get more faith? And we'll look at Jesus' answer to that in hopefully a little bit different light today that might set you free. Now, have anyone, is anyone in this room just, I want you to signify with the big eyes. That's how I want you to respond, big eyes. Like, like your wife just told you, your wife of 40 years just told you she's pregnant, like that look right there. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, we're getting ready to write a new Bible. All right. <laughs> have any of you, signify with the big eyes, have any of you ever argued with Jesus? Oh, I saw a few. I've saw a few. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> if you've listened to many of my sermons, you know Jesus and I fight regularly. So <laughs> as, long as, as long as he wins. Amen to that. So, um, you know, sometimes I look at the way Jesus is doing Jesus. And I forget how ignorant I am. I forget how weak I am. I forget how many lies I believe. And, you know, we have discussions. I'm like, hey, Jesus, you should show off more. <laughs> Don't you think Jesus should show off more sometimes? I mean, like, he has all this power and all this authority. And I'm looking around, and the devil, the enemy, his archenemy, he's, he's showing off everywhere. And I'm like, man, Jesus, you should strut your stuff a little bit, and I don't know if he laughs, or if that's when I start having financial problems. But I mean, just uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I look at these things, but then I real, but then I have this uh, this counter epiphany. I guess you know, I'm like Jesus. You should, you should, you should go in. wreck You should show them who's God. That's what you should do. And um, <clears throat> then he says. Hey, hey, Michael. He has another name that he calls him, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And uh, he says, uh, look around, dude. Open up your eyes. And, and I don't know if you know that some of the largest moves of God that have ever happened in the history of the world are happening right now. Yes. Yeah. In places that they can't happen and yet they are happening. Right. Most significant revival on the planet today is in Iran. Yes. In Iran. In Iran. I don't know if you know, there, there is a healing movement that is just shaking things up around the world that's coming out of the younger generation because they're too ignorant to know that God just doesn't do it that way anymore. So they just keep asking God to do it the way he used to, and he keeps doing it. And uh, so <clears throat> you're like, Michael, I think you're trying to make a point there. Maybe. <laughs> So Jesus said to, I believe, to Pilate in John chapter 18. Pilate's asking him, he says, are you a king then? And Jesus says, yeah, yes, I'm a king. And in John 18, 36, Jesus answers Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Now, before I go on, This is a good thing, because the earthly kingdoms are passing away and being shaken. So Jesus' kingdom not being an earthly kingdom is a good thing. So my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, if it were, my followers would kick your butt. (sighs) they would fight for me. So, what I want you to see out of this text is this. <clears throat> the last part was uh, a Michaelism. <clears throat> There's Michaelisms, and that was one of them. Um, I see the church as a very powerful thing in this world. And, um, but what I want you to see in this is that as a follower of Jesus, you're a citizen of another place. Now, I know you hear me say that all the time. I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Until we get that we're citizens of a different country with a higher and more powerful set of laws with a more powerful way of living until we start praying the Lord's prayer in the way that He intended which was, Father, Your will right here just like it is up there. Does that make sense? And so that's what we need to realize that there's a different kingdom A kingdom that's not built on hard work, effort, self-reliance, and punishment. But a kingdom that's built on faithfulness, power, discipline, compassion, truth, and mercy. That's the kingdom we are from and that we represent. However, the kingdom we live in is the problem. This is what's attacking our faith every day. We have the words of Jesus, the things that Jesus said were true, but then we go out on Monday and deal with our boss who may or may not be grumpy. And if you're the boss, you may or may not be grumpy. (laughs) Uh, And what you need to know is you're not the first one to struggle with it. This is why you need to be reading the Bible and and listening to it and and not just going, well, I don't get that, but really trying to climb into it because what you're going to find there is a whole lot of people that struggled just like you do. A lot of people who did not get what jesus was doing that didn't get what god was doing and they struggled with that even even just a reading of the psalms you encounter several people who are writing poems and songs who are struggling with god struggling to come to terms with a god who is good while living in a world that's awful and so we come from this different place because of our faith and the enemy loves he wants to disempower you he wants to devalue you he, he really needs to neutralize you because you're a threat yes. you're a threat you're a threat to everything that he's trying to destroy you have the power to change it and rebuild it and so we have to get away from this idea of not enough faith we have to get away from the idea of faith as a currency with god we have to move into looking at faith in a different way, and that's the, the point of today. Now Jude said this in Jude chapter 1, verse 20. And if you're following us on our email list that about uh, called Building Ordinary Faith or Build Ordinary Faith, we just started a little bit of discussion on this verse. But Jude says, Dear friends, You, my dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. So here's some ways to grow in your faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you'll keep yourself safe in God's love. So you can see a simple outline that Jude says about building faith. One, he says, we do it for each other. We pour into each other. The one, then he goes on to add that we pray, that we pray, that we pray. Did I say we pray? I can't. Did I get that out there? Why do you think prayer is so hard? Because your enemy's terrified of you when you start praying. And when you start praying, Jude talks about praying in the Holy Spirit, prayer takes prayer begins, prayer of any kind begins and opens a door that takes you into presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So when you begin praying, keep it simple. People are like, I don't know how to pray. Sure you do. You pray all the time. Honey, can we have dinner tonight? <clears throat> You're praying to your wife. Please sleep tonight, child. You're praying to your kid. (laughs) Can I have Saturday off? You're praying to your boss. Prayer's not hard. With God, it's way better, though. Because in this life, sometimes we're begging. God's our Father. He likes you better than you like you. I promise you that. And He would like to have a conversation with you. Prayer's a conversation, it's not a monologue. It's a conversation, but that is another sermon So we build each other up with that And then there's this concept of waiting And a lot of times When you think God is lis- isn't listening What's really going on is you're in a waiting pattern Okay? It's not that he isn't listening He's not your microwave Popcorn in 3 minutes and 45 seconds He's the God of the universe And he is working things around and about in this world Okay? So, <clears throat> moving on. These are some ideas how to build a faith. We'll come back to that. Let's begin with the foundation of faith. Let's look at Matthew 16. Now, Matthew 16 is a well-contended text. There are lots of arguments about it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it, think about it yourself. But for now, give me the benefit of the doubt. Okay? So Jesus says this, Matthew 16, one of my favorite texts. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was, and Peter passed the quiz. He was the only one with the right answer. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in Heaven's revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now! Now! Here's the contended text. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock or small pebble or stone. And upon this rock, and that's a different word for rock, it's Petra, it's, it's a big foundation stock. It says you are Peter, little rock, upon this rock I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So this is the, the text, okay? Now, if you grew up in a Catholic faith and you ever heard on this text, they're probably using this text to institute Peter as something like a Pope or someone of high authority. And there's a lot of things about Catholicism and Protestants that are actually the same. We have same core Orthodox beliefs. Uh, They have, we both have rituals. They just have a different set of rituals than we have, than Protestants typically have. And so there's a lot of similarities. I know a lot of Catholic priests that I respect highly that are excellent at teaching the Word of God. But we have a disagreement, which is why we're Protestant and we protest them. Hence the name. <laughs> and this is the, the, one of the core places because we believe in the priesthood of the believers. What does that mean? We don't believe there are levels in the kingdom. We believe there's Jesus, and there's us, and us are sons and kings and queens under the authority of God. Okay, and so uh, there there's this there's this argument that it kind of exists in Protestant churches too uh, between the cl- the clergy and the laity. In the Bible, I see different roles that are more parenting and influential, but there, there, is no, there are no higher ups. Like, yeah, I'm the pastor of ordinary faith, and there is an a role of authority and anointing that I carry, but I ain't your boss. I teach you the truth. I teach you the scriptures. You have to make decisions about what you do with it. I cannot come over to your house and say, you're not doing it right. Some pastors do that. I avoid that one. My... Because I don't even know if I'm doing it right. But anyway, so we'll move on. <laughs> so, when you read the Bible and you're like, gee, I wonder what Jesus meant, the first thing you should do is look to the Bible and see if the Bible ever tells you what it meant. So, who's Jesus, who was Jesus talking to when he said, Your name is Peter, and on this little rock, this pebble, I'll, I mean, you're a little pebble, and on this big rock, I'll build. Who was he talking to? The guy named, starts with a P. Sam. I just want to see if you're here. It took you a minute, but you're here Amen. now. Thank you. He was talking to Peter. So in 1 Peter, so we, well, what did Peter think he thought? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter's writing, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. What's a cornerstone? It's a foundation stone. The whole building... An ancient architecture and design and construction was built based on the cornerstone. It set the corner and it set the square. The rest of the building was built in relation to the cornerstone. So Peter goes on and says, you've come to Christ. And he's the foundation stone, guiding foundation stone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you... Let me tell you something, my name's Peter, I'm the little stone, and I learned from watching the Transfiguration that not only am I a little stone, I'm a living stone, but so let me tell you, if I'm a living stone that's been placed on the foundation stone, the big stone that's Jesus Christ, guess what, you are also living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Well, how did Peter see it? You see? How did Peter see it? Peter saw it as Jesus was the foundation. Not Peter, not Peter's faith. Not Peter, not Peter's faith. Jesus. Okay? It's important because as we get into this and we start wrestling with what faith is, we have to wrestle with what Jesus thought it was and what he taught it was. Jesus taught that he is the firm foundation. I grew up in a uh, Tornado Alley. <clears throat> Now, I lived just off the side. We didn't have as many tornadoes at that time in history when I lived there as they do today. But when I was a teenager, an older child, we moved to, you're like, you looked at me when I said older child and go, he's still an older child. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, moving right along. We moved to Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri is kind of in a, like, surrounded by the Ozarks. And when a tornado gets in there, it just bounces around and has a good time. Like, you know, woo! it's a big trailer park. Yeehaw! <clears throat> just kidding, if you live in Trailer Park that was not directed at you, it was just tornadoes they're, they're, I'm, The tornadoes are who I was trying to offend, not you Anyway So when I was a kid, I was in 4th grade and I went to school that had 3 or 4 floors I was in a class on the 4th floor surrounded by windows I was listening intently to my teacher <laughs> trying to catch every word Mr. Rademacher was dropping on us And I by totally accidentally glanced out the window. This is not normal. Normally I'm focused, you know, in fourth grade as a boy. (laughs) And I I look out the window and I'd never seen it before, but the clouds were dark. It looked like it was going to come a gully washer. You know what a gully washer is? Do I need to translate? Okay, so it come a gully washer. And I saw this cloud come down, twist down like this and back up like a big old snake in the sky. I'm sitting in my class, we're having class, and I saw that and I'm like, wow, that's cool, hey guys! And as soon as I went, hey guys, all <laughs> the alarms went off. And we are, we are running out of our classroom in a decent orderly fashion, still trying to grab our notes so we could remember what Mr. Rodemacher said. And we're going down the steps to the school basement. And and the whole school is lined up on different walls down in the school basement because that day Springfield was getting a lot of tornadoes. When you're in a, when you're dealing with a tornado, you're dealing with something strong and violent. And believe me, they are strong and violent. You don't stand out in the open and plant your feet on the ground and look at the tornado and go, "I ain't moving." Because if that tornado decides you're going to move, you're going to move. (laughs) What you do in a situation like that is you get to a shelter. Because when the storm is blowing, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You can be Dwayne the Rock Johnson staring down that tornado. It doesn't matter how much you weigh at that moment. It doesn't matter what you're holding on to. In that moment, your only course of action is to run to the shelter and put your faith in the shelter to keep you safe, not your strength to keep you safe. Does that make sense? I'm telling you that because our faith we are looking at like it's our strength, like something that we can try to do. Like it's something that when we fail, it's because we couldn't hold on to our faith. What I'm here to tell you is it's not the strength of your faith that is the primary issue. It is the strength of your shelter or the object of your faith. If there is a tank that you have access to and you're in the middle of a war zone, you don't hang on to the outside of the tank with all your might. You get in the tank. That's faith. That's what it means to trust the shelter, is when you get into the shelter and let the shelter be the shelter. Okay? You're with me? So when we think about faith, we have to move out of this because the enemy is using this lie of faith as a currency, of faith as your strength. He's using this lie, and every time you get in a tough situation, what's happening? You're like, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I can trust God here. I don't know if I can get through this. And what you're really saying is, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. But we turn a situation that's just a circumstance that happens in a broken world into a place of doubt when it never needs to be. Does that make any sense at all? Okay? So, your strength is not in how well you're able to hold on to your faith. Your strength is in waiting. That's why Jude said to wait for the mercy and the grace of Jesus to arrive. And so a lot of times we get in situations that are waiting situations, and we turn them into faith breakers when they don't need to be. So the Word of God says this in Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell His disciples plainly that it was necessary for Him to go to Jerusalem, that He would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and on the third day, He would be raised from the dead. This is Matthew 16, this stuff doesn't happen until a few chapters later. You've you, you got to remember that Jesus is telling the boys the whole journey. Hey, guys, uh, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Peter was right. He passed the quiz. Uh, you all passed the quiz, but only because of what I'm going to do. And here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me, condemn me, kill me. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise from the grave. Okay, there you go. There's the plan. See you on the other side. <clears throat> See you on Sunday. All right. That's, he told them all this this time. So what happened, though, in this moment? You Remember we talked about earlier about arguing with Jesus? So Peter hears all this. The other 11 disciples hear all this. They're following the Messiah. Their view of the Messiah is, is very one-sided. It's very biased. Their view of the Messiah is that, okay, the Messiah is going to come in. He's going to kick Rome out. He's going to show the world who's boss. And the Jews are going to party from then on while everyone else cries. Aha. That was their mindset. Because why? Because they didn't didn't like Psalm 22. They didn't like Isaiah 53. There are all kinds of texts in the Old Testament that did not fit their Messiah eschatology or in view. And because when it doesn't fit, you know what happens when the facts don't fit the theory? You get rid of the facts. Right? Isn't that what we do? I have a theory and I am going to prove it even if nothing else does. <laughs> so Peter didn't like Jesus' predictions. And Peter did what we all do. We, beat, we love to beat up the guys in the Bible, man. We love to, we, we don't, Thomas, doubting Thomas, Peter in his big mouth. We, we love to beat these guys up when all they did is the exact stuff we do on a regular basis. And so Peter hears Jesus present a, a theology, an eschatology, a belief system that he didn't like, and so Peter decides at that point that he 's going to argue with Jesus. He say, "Hey, Jesus, that's not for you. If that happens to you, that 's not going to work out well for me, so I don't like that, so that 's not for you." And then we know what Jesus said to Peter, and we 'll come back to that in just a minute. So what I want to see from this is... I want you to see that Jesus defied his disciples' expectations all the time. I want you to see that. I want you to see that they normally were confused by Jesus. This was not like this was not like a rare occurrence. In fact, I would I would argue I could probably argue that it was like a daily thing. They would wake up in the morning and go, "I wonder how Jesus is going to confuse us today." <laughs> So if you're struggling with how God is doing things in your life and how Jesus is working in your life, instead of having a faith crisis, I don't know if I can trust God, why can't we move to a different place and go, well, you know what? Maybe Jesus knows something I don't know. Maybe God's doing something I can't see. Has he ever done that before? Has that ever happened in your life where a series of events that you were completely ignorant of, one day you woke up and received the blessings... From a series of events you didn't even know were in play. Does that ever happen to you? And so, rather than making things into a faith crisis, what they need to be is a season of waiting. Okay, this is going to sound like I'm talking to you, but I'm actually going to talk to me for a minute. Okay, so this is like, you get whatever you need, but... uh, Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you're in a place where God says to rest. And if you read the Bible, you find out that most of the heroes of our faith, that most of their lives were actually spent waiting. You realize that David only fought Goliath that one time. Right? And the preparation for David fighting Goliath was a whole lot of time sitting with sheep, doing mundane daily care of sheep. Occasionally he, well, there was that time he wrestled a bear and a lion. But all of that just taught him that God was faithful and that if God could deliver him from a bear and if God could deliver him from a lion, then this stupid nine-foot-tall dude who is an idiot, should be no problem. So Michael, you're going to offend Goliath's family. They're probably dead, but okay. There was a lot of waiting that went into that victory. There was a lot of waiting in Elijah's story that went into the victory that happened at the mountain where he called down fire from heaven. There's a lot of waiting. When God puts you in a season of rest, no matter how hard you work, this is for me, not you, no matter how hard you work in a season of rest, you cannot accomplish His will and vision for your life. We live in a world today, and the church has made it worse. Where we are like, okay, we won that battle. Next mountain, next mountain, next victory, next giant, next one. Never stop. Keep going. No rest. That is ungodly. That is not true. It's a lie. And so, when you're in a season of waiting, you wait. When do I wait till? I'm not giving you permission to be lazy because I got enough Baptist in my bones that I could never do that. (laughs) But you wait until you, you hear his voice again. You wait until you can breathe again. You wait until you're inspired again. See, that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is inspiration. You wait until those things happen. You don't have to win a victory every day of your life. You don't have to slay a giant every day of your life. In fact, the reason your giants are winning are because you are exhausted. You're tired. And faith isn't about how much you accomplish. Faith is about resting in the shelter of Jesus. The psalmist understood that. He understood that you wait and know that He is God. You wait until your strength comes to you. All, Both of these are Psalms or prophetic out of the prophets of the Old Testament. You wait. And a faith without waiting will drain us. It will kill us. It will weaken us. It will make the enemy so happy because he just loves to come in with that lie. You have to do more. You have to try more. Your faith is too weak. You have to get stronger. You have to uh, keep trying. It sells a lot of self-help books. It sells a lot of religious books. The problem is it's wrong. It's not true. And so your strength is in waiting so don't fight your faith Peter came to Jesus he said <laughs> I love this passage I love this passage I would love to tell you that I've never done this but the more I think about it I just can't do it I wish I could here Peter comes to Jesus Peter took Jesus aside and began to <laughs> reprimand the son of God that's hilarious <laughs> listen here son of God I don't think you've got this figured out I got I'm here to fix your eschatology man eschatology is the study of end times i'm sorry i just like to use big words occasionally so you go like hey that guy is not as dumb as he looks <laughs> he's as dumb as he sounds though anyway so uh peter took him aside began to represent the reprimand the son of god the ancient of days the alpha and omega heaven forbid lord this will never happen to you and jesus turned to peter and he said get away from me satan That's a nice way to start the day. (laughs) Why was Jesus so harsh? Because just like it was God's words in Peter's mouth that declared Jesus the Messiah, it was the enemy's words in Peter's mouth to tempt Jesus to not be the Messiah. Jesus' reaction here is because what's at stake is not Peter, but the eternity and salvation of the entire world. So, the enemy's tempting Jesus here. Be the Messiah they want you to be. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, what I meant when we're a lot like Peter is this a lot of times we don't pray. We give God instructions. We do like Peter. All right, Jesus, I really don't like your plan here. Here's how I want you to do it. And we begin to tell him how to fix our husbands, how to fix our wives, how to fix our employers, how to fix the banking system, how to fix the president of the bank. Um, How to fix somebody. But here's the thing. You don't have God's point of view. You don't have God's point of view. You don't know what the Father knows. And so the ant- was God knows how to get this done. He knows how to get it done for all of us. He knows how to get it done in your life. So correcting Jesus is not a good idea. When we pray, by the way, It should be a conversation in which God shapes us. Prayer is a conversation in which God is shaping us. Prayer is not a conversation where you are shaping God or convincing God. You you will never want more for your life than your Father God wants for your life. You never will. You're you're never, when he looks at your life, he has far greater and far more impossible things for you than you could ever imagine. So when you go to him, it would be wise to rather than go and give God these instructions on how he should do things, if you went into a conversation that was more of like, Papa, I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad that you're my father. I'm glad that you forgave me of my... So many times we're asking God for forgiveness of sins when we need to be praising God for forgiveness of sins. You can beg God for forgiveness the rest of your life. You're never going to feel it. Start praising Him that you have been forgiven. It'll change things for you. It really will. Move from begging and slavery to sonship and power and authority. Change these things. This is how faith moves in your life. By the way, Jesus was very harsh with Simon in that moment. But I also want you to know that in John 21, you see, after Peter had goofed up everything, ruined everything, threw away everything, and quit, period, Jesus came and Jesus restored Peter. And what I believe is one of the most beautifully loving conversations recorded in Scripture. And so, your fa- these, Jesus will take, because of what He is, and because of the foundation He is, He will take your faith and work through your faith, and He will make sure that your setbacks are not failures. So the Bible says in Luke 22, Jesus turns to, to the disciples... And he just, told them this, he just told all the disciples, the enemy has, is ready to wreck you guys. He's, a, he's asking the courts of heaven to wreck you guys. So that tells you there is a, there's a courts of heaven that's going on. And the enemy, she might do a better job than me. So <laughs> She's way cuter. <laughs> way cuter. Ridiculous. Simon, Simon, Luke 22, verse 31. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Satan wants to Thread all the disciples. He's asked for that permission. But I have Pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. I've pleaded in prayer For you, Simon, and all the disciples That your faith should not fail. So when you have repented And returned to me again, Strengthen your brothers. You see, We live in a world of try harder. Man, it's everywhere. I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm overweight, and I'm a skinny guy hiding inside of a box of pizza. <laughs> and, you know, I, but here's the thing, you probably, you don't know, but I, I've, like, worked out pretty much all my adult life. And what happened was, uh, you know, I've struggled with, uh, well, see, I get stressed. And it just seems like that whenever I'm stressed, that cake and pizza... And fries, French fries, I love French Anybody else love French fries? Anyway, I'm sorry, okay. Uh, I swallow a lot of stress wrapped in a pizza. <clears throat> like a pizza taco with stress. And Anyway, so, but I've worked out all my life. So a couple years ago, uh, Frank's here, he's the one who kind of, who has helped me get out of this. Um, I, I was working out, you know? I was trying harder. I had been trying harder for a few months. Uh, but here's the thing, I'm 52 now, I was 50 then. Uh, And Miss Tammy, who loves me so much, had just told me like the week before, she goes, you know, when you hit 50, that check engine light's going to come on. (laughs) I said, I am not receiving that in Jesus' name. (laughs) And then here I am working out at the gym, and I just do this this, uh, pull-down exercise, and this rib in the middle of my back goes twang. You're like, they don't make that sound. I'm from the South. They make that sound. (laughs) All right? Twang. And I'm like, oh, that, that didn't feel right. So I finished my workout because I'm real smart like that. Try harder. Try, Got to keep going. Try harder. Next morning, I woke up. Can't feel my fingers in my left arm. I'm in agony. I, I mean, I, I don't know what to do. I didn't even know Frank or Dr. Huxford very much at the time. Uh, I had a, another chiropractor I was going to and, and uh, went to a doctor. And I'm in agony. Try harder. Don't cut it. When you're in pain, when something malfunctions, when cancer shows up, when, when the, the other person in the relationship decides to leave, Try Harder doesn't do anything. It sells a lot of books that get read and put on a shelf and never read again and never applied. You know you've got 10 books on your shelf now. You read, you go, that was a good book, and you've never gone back to it. If you don't, I'll give you 10 of mine. <laughs> You don't even have to read them. I'll just tell you. It won't work. <laughs> Michael, it'll work if you try hard enough. See, that's how this world system is. Try harder. Try harder. It's fine when you're younger and your body is stronger or your health is holding up. It's not fine when your body rebels against you, when your mind rebels against you. My father is 72 years old, seventy-two years old. he's as strong as a horse physically, he's worked hard his entire life, he's worked for cities, he's worked in sewer systems and water systems, incredibly intelligent man, got dementia a few years ago and now he doesn't even know who I am. You say, Michael, but what about try harder? That's what I'm trying to help you see. Sometimes try harder doesn't work. You can't try harder to believe. That's not even the point. And Jesus really, he addressed this. And, um, oh man, I think I've lost a verse here. So I'm going to just kind of go from memory. So you're like, oh no, we'll be here all day. Yes, you're right. Um, (laughs) So the disciples, they ask Jesus, they go, man, uh, how do how do we increase our faith, Lord? Increase our faith. Give us more faith. That's what we ask for all the time because we need we need big answers. We need God answers. Increase our faith. And what does Jesus say? He replies to him, "Hey, if you got faith of a mustard seed, what is He telling you? Because here is what every American mind in the country is doing with that: going, okay, how do I get the faith of a mustard seed? That is not the point." He's saying the size of your faith is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It matters where you put it. Yeah. Does that make sense? You take that little mustard seed and you put it in that, that safe, that storm shelter of Jesus. Mountains are going to move in your life. Yes. It's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. But what we're doing, here's what we're doing. Okay, a little mustard seed. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, let's go. Oh, no. I don't think it's growing. You plant your mustard seed. You plant it deep in Christ. That's what faith is. I'm letting you off the hook today. You understand this? The enemy's the one who trapped you, not Christianity, not God, not the Bible. It's the enemy who trapped you, and he tells you every day you have no worth and no value. He tells you every day you don't have enough resources to make a difference. I wish I had time to tell you a few stories of the difference God made just in the last week, based on a few people going, I have enough to share, and they did. And, and I'm here to tell you right now, the enemy's assaulting you through your faith today, telling you you don't have enough faith, and what I need... what. No, it's not, what I, it's not even about what I need. What this city, this community needs, what this world needs is a bunch of Christ-following believers who stop listening to the lies and break them off and will rise up, who will rise up and stop worrying about what they are being told they don't have and start fighting for someone else. Once we do that, I can't even begin to list all the needs our community is facing right now that are needs that are larger than money, larger than health care, larger than psychological care. There There needs to be a godly people who will rise up and go, Man, we are sons and daughters of the king, and what the enemy has done to destroy this city will not stand. We start seeing ourselves as the warriors that Jesus Christ anointed us and called us to be. Things will change. We start believing and praying more than we believe in talking. Things will change. I speak today to the warrior kings and queens of Jesus Christ under their Father God. That's who I speak to. All I'm trying to do is wake up that warrior within you. I don't need you to try harder. I'm begging you to stop trying harder. In fact, what we need to do is we need to start seeing rest as a weapon. Because out of a place of rest comes that spirit of prayer and that powerful worship that shakes and destroys the works of the enemy. And so I pray for you today, worship team, if I could get you to come on up. I'll be... While we worship, by the way, before I close in prayer, this last set of worship is so important. What I need you to understand is, the enemy's fighting it already. What I need you to understand is that when God's people worship, it creates this, it releases, it doesn't create, it releases this atmosphere of the Father. There's a passage in Isaiah that talks about that when I worship the, the, the mighty one rose up and fought for me. There are people in this room right now who need fought for. Some of them will come up for prayer. Some of them won't. If you're like me, you've sat in that seat brokenhearted many times and never asked anyone to pray for you. I've done that. What I need you to do while we're worshiping right now is I need you just to worship. I need you to put the phone away, not, not worry about what you're doing after this, you're, but to focus on your Father. That would do more to help us as we pray. And then I've got some folks who are going to pray with me that I didn't ask beforehand, but they know who they are. They'll join me. And if we can pray for you over here at these tables while we worship, this would be a great time for you to do that. Father God, I thank you. I pray that you would just release on us today a spirit of rest, a a power, a a weapon of rest. Help us to release this try harder mentality and help us to embrace... Our Lord and Savior Jesus, help us to stop trying to stand up to the storm and help us, Lord, to get into our shelter, who is Christ. I pray that you would release every bound soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Steve.